the author of Hebrews writes to us that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do you believe that? Yes, you. That's good. That's a wonderful hope. God does not change. Jesus is the same. And so it is with that conviction that we're going to study Mark's gospel together on Sunday mornings. And you know what? This study, 16 chapters of Mark's gospel, will probably take us over a year to complete. But we're going to journey together, and we're going to look to Christ in the year ahead. So I want to take a few minutes to introduce us to Mark's gospel. Just a few thoughts, and then we will, um, we will open up God's word and look at the first chapter of Mark. Well, the first thing we'll think about is who wrote the gospel according to Mark? And if you're looking at me going, Pastor, why do you need to tell me that? It's right in the title. That's okay. It was written by Mark. Mark wrote down the eyewitness testimony of the Apostle Peter. This is the, the testimony of the early church fathers that, that what Mark recorded for us was under the, the tutelage, under the discipleship of Peter and what Peter saw and experienced. And so this is not just coming second, third hand, but really first hand through, through the pen of Mark. Mark is also known in the Bible as John Mark. And, and he's often remembered for maybe something that's not so good or noble. Um, he's remembered for leaving Paul and Barnabas when they had traveled on their first missionary journey to other lands outside of Judea, and he left them, and we're really not told why. And so a lot of people have speculated and given him a, a really bad story, like he was a really awful person. We don't know. We know he was a young guy. Maybe, maybe he just got afraid. Maybe he got sick. We don't know. But... The legacy that Mark left us wasn't about him. And that is, I think, the important thing. As we think about Mark and his gospel, is that it's not at all about Mark. He's hardly mentioned in the gospel at all. But it is all about Jesus. So it was written by Mark. A second question that we could ask is, who was Mark's gospel written to? What was his audience? Well, we know that Mark's gospel was written to an audience with many non-Jewish people. Tradition tells us Mark wrote from Rome, possibly to Christians in Rome, many of whom would have been Gentile or not Jewish and many of whom would have been the Greek-speaking Jew. But why do we say that it was written to many non-Jewish people? Well, because he explains a lot of things that are not familiar to non-Jews. He explains a lot of Aramaic terms. That would have been the common language spoken in Galilee and Judea. And he explains Jewish customs to us. 
And so it is really helpful even for us that, that Mark recorded these details so that we could understand them. And in the way that he wrote, full of all of these details, this vivid details and, and, and action, it's a very quick book compared to John or Matthew. But Mark gets right to the point of who Jesus is. What did he say? What did he do? And he lays that out for us so that all of us can understand. So that is one of the reasons why I chose this gospel. I really appreciate how it, it simply lays things out for us so that we can understand. Well, the third question, perhaps the most important of all, is what is Mark's gospel about? Well, the word gospel means good news. So it's about good news. And the good news is about Jesus. That's the short answer. We see that in the very beginning, verse 1, where Mark sets the stage for telling us who Jesus is. And then throughout his gospel, he continues that. And he shows us Jesus. He shows us what he did. He shows us what he said. What he came to do leads us to the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. And so each and every week we come this coming year, whatever situations that we find ourselves in, whatever troubles, struggles, temptations, sicknesses, Mark says to us, look to Jesus. That's the message of his gospel. And he points us to him on every page, beginning with the very title, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Here is the beginning, Mark says, of all that you need to know about Jesus. And he doesn't just begin in chapter one, but he gives us chapter two and three and four till we see a full picture of who Jesus is. So we can be very thankful for this. What does Mark tell us about Jesus though in chapter one? And the very first verses. Well, Mark wants us to know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. He was witnessed by John. He was declared by the Father. And he was confirmed by his testing. Do you know this, Jesus? We're going to go through each of these in turn. And if you would turn to Mark's Gospel, chapter 1, we're going to begin by reading the title of Mark's Gospel, verse 1. Well, I'll go to the previous slide here. The title of John's or Mark's Gospel, I keep saying John sometimes, is this. The beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, 
the Son of God. Mark tells us that Jesus is the Christ and that he is the Son of God. What, what do these mean? What is Mark talking about? Well, the word Christ is the Greek translation of a Hebrew title, uh, Messiah. Messiah means anointed. So Christ and Messiah are two different titles, but the same thing. They mean the same thing. Anointed one. And we find in the scriptures that prophets and priests and kings were all anointed at various times by God to serve his people. All the prophets and the priests and the kings were not always faithful. There were godly priests, there were godly prophets, there were godly kings, but there were many who were unfaithful. And so throughout the Old Testament pages, we see picture after picture of, of, of an imperfect prophet and an imperfect king and an imperfect priest. But God had promised one that was come, an anointed one a Messiah, a Savior, who would fulfill what a true prophet, a perfect prophet, a perfect priest, and a perfect king would be like. Someone who would deliver his people, who would draw them near to God as a priest would, who would rule over them in righteousness as a king was supposed to to reveal God to them as a prophet. What Mark is saying here is that Jesus is that promised Savior. He is the perfect priest and prophet and king. And there is much more we could say about each of those roles that he played and how he fulfilled these. We will see some of them as we continue in Mark's gospel, as we see how the life that he lived fulfilled these things. Here we're just given the title and a, and a taste of who Jesus is, that he is the one who will fulfill all of God's promises, who will rescue his people completely because he is the Christ. So the good news of Jesus is, first of all, that he is the promised Savior. That's a good way of simplifying what it means that he is the Christ. He is the promised Savior. And so deliverance and hope for the people of God is found in him and him alone. He is the Christ. Not so-and-so over there or so-and-so here, but him. Jesus Christ is the one that we look to as Savior. The second title that Jesus has is 
the Son of God. Jesus is the Son of God. Now, that is a description that's been misunderstood by many people. It could be confusing. What what does that mean that Jesus is the Son of God? Is he like, you know, Caleb is my son? How does this work? How do we understand what it means that Jesus is the Son of God? Well, I'm thankful that Mark, uh, he doesn't define it for himself. He doesn't try to figure it out on his own, but he allows God to define for us what this means. He actually gives in verse two and three, a prophecy to reveal to us more about Jesus Christ and a messenger who is going to come and proclaim the way for Jesus. Mark chapter 1 verse 2 says, As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness Prepare the way of the Lord, the voice, uh, make his paths straight. Prepare the way of the Lord. Mark begins with a quotation from the prophet Isaiah. And actually, it's it's a couple of quotations from the Old Testament. We have a portion of Malachi and Exodus in the first part of this quotation as well. You can find those prophecies in Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, and Exodus 23, verse 20. But Mark lays the emphasis here on the latter half of this quotation from the prophet Isaiah, and he highlights his name to call our attention to this. Isaiah's quotation is taken from Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 3, where it says, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. What does the, the voice cry? Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. Now, both Malachi and Isaiah's prophecies highlight the coming of a herald of a messenger, this voice that Isaiah says is crying in the wilderness for for people to, to listen and to pay attention to. Well, the job of a messenger was to get the people ready for the coming of someone important, someone like a king or a lord or maybe the general of an army. He would go before and tell everybody, look, The king is coming. Are you going to get ready? Clean the streets, wash your windows, uh, put on your best clothes, get ready. The king is coming. But in Isaiah, we're told who that important someone is. Okay? Who is the king? 
that's coming. Prepare the way of the Lord, the voice said. The Lord, that word meaning Yahweh or Jehovah, the name that God gave for himself in Exodus when he spoke to Moses in the burning bush, Yahweh, I am the Lord God. God himself, the true and eternal king, is coming. That is significant, isn't it? No wonder Mark draws our attention to this. The Lord God is coming. And who is the Lord God? Jesus Christ. This helps us to understand what it means when Mark tells us that Jesus is the Son of God. He is the divine King. He is the Lord, Yahweh, Jehovah. He's not subordinate to God. It's not created by God here. For it says that he is the Lord. He is the same God who says in Isaiah chapter 45, I am the Lord and there is no other. There is no God besides me. And again, he says, I am the Lord and there is no other. Mark is teaching us through the prophet Isaiah, that Jesus is God. He is divine. And he, so he identifies him in verse 1 as the Son of God. Not at all meaning here that, that he is then the uh, literal Son of God. For Jesus, the Son of God, is eternal. He is co-equal with the Father. Remember, he is the Lord that God proclaimed by Isaiah as the one true God. And yet, he is also a distinct person from the Father. And that is why Jesus is identified as the Son of God. God reveals himself in three persons as the Father and the Son and the Spirit. We can see this even a couple of verses later. It's on the screen in Mark 1, verse 11. As Jesus is baptized, here is the Lord, the one that John prepared the way for, being baptized. And the Spirit is descending from heaven. And there is a voice from heaven that says, this is my beloved son. And so we can see here, even in this very passage, these distinctions, self-distinctions or persons in the Godhead. Though they 
are distinct persons. They are one God. Sharing the same infinite, eternal being. I don't claim this is easy to understand. But it's the the clear testimony of Scripture that Jesus is the Lord God. And we need to take him at his word. Take the scripture as God's word. And it's worth working through to understand better in our minds how, how, what is the Bible saying? I think I threw up just a quick little thing. I don't want to go through it, but this is a, a little graphic of how we can understand what the Bible teaches us about God. The Bible teaches us there is one God. That's very clear in Isaiah where we quoted from. He said, there is no other God besides me. And yet we find Jesus being described as God in the scriptures and the Father described as God and the Spirit likewise. So how do we understand this? Well, we see that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are described in the Bible as fully and equally God. One scripture that speaks of Jesus, and I highlight Jesus because that's who we're talking about this morning, is Colossians chapter 2, verse 9. And I, I would encourage you to write that down and look it up. I should have put it on the screen there. But it says, in him... The fullness of deity dwells bodily. And so the scripture wants us to know that though Jesus Christ, the Son of God, became a man, he is fully God. In him, the fullness of deity dwells bodily. And so the Son, Jesus, is not less than the Father. He is equal in power and glory co-equal in majesty. It's important that we think about these things because we don't want to misrepresent God. We don't want to misrepresent or misunderstand who Jesus is when he says, I and the Father are one, that he meant that, that he truly is the Lord come to earth in the flesh. And so Mark wants us to know a new beginning has come. The Messiah, the Son of God, the Lord is here. And God has sent a messenger to prepare the way for Jesus, the Lord, our God. Jesus was witnessed by John. Verse 4 tells us that the messenger was named John. We'll read that this morning. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes 
he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. John was a bit of an unusual man, and not just in his uh, clothing or his diet. We like to, we think about those and it gets us pondering, but the point of those things is to show us that uh, it wasn't about who he was as a person. He was not an impressive man. He certainly was compelling. People flocked to hear his message, his hard message, a message of repentance. But it wasn't about him. John was an unusual man, most of all, because he had one focus, one aim, and that was what the prophet Isaiah had said. His one aim was to prepare the way for the Lord. And he lived that out in proclaiming his baptism of repentance, of turning from your sins to the Lord, acknowledging, boy, we need a Savior. And he declared that someone was coming, someone mightier, more worthy than he was. John explained to the people that he baptized them with water. Why did he highlight that? Well, because the water baptism was an important symbol. It spoke to one's commitment, one's covenant to to repent and to receive the cleansing from God. But John wants us to know that there was one coming who would baptize with the Holy Spirit. The one who is able actually to cleanse people from their sins, to change them from the inside out. You see, so much of people's repentance and confession is more outward than of the heart. But the Holy Spirit is able to renew us and to convict us from the inside out. So that it's not just a show to put on for some other people, to say, look, I've repented. Look, I confess my sins. I got a baptism but it's a work of God. And this work of God through the Holy Spirit would come through the one that John proclaimed, through Jesus. So the good news wasn't about John. He was just the messenger. So John witnessed about Jesus that he is God that he's the Lord, that he was Savior. When the Father declared that Jesus is his beloved Son, I'm going to read about Jesus' baptism in Mark chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. In those days, we're told, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, 
Immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove and a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. This is quite a significant event. We already highlighted how we see the father and the son and the spirit here. When we think about what this says about Jesus, it really is amazing. Nobody else could be given the description that was declared from heaven, from the Father himself, that this is my beloved son. He said to him, you are my beloved son. And with you, I am well pleased. You can imagine what an amazing declaration that would have been for Jesus to hear from the Father, but it is spoken also for our benefit that through the testimony of, of John and the record that we're given here, we would see that what Mark has been saying is true. The Father has declared it, that he is his beloved Son. The whole reason that we can know that Jesus is the Lord here is because not only has John said Jesus is Lord, not only has the messenger from God said that, but God himself, God the Father, said that he is his beloved son, that Jesus is his beloved son. Isn't that amazing? How does that shape the way that you think of Jesus on a daily basis? Do you see him as the one that God loves? As the one who is identified with his father in every way? Well, the third reason that we can know that Jesus is the Lord is because he was confirmed by his testing. He stood the test that none had ever stood before. We'll pick up the story in verse 12. There's a very, it's really quick. Immediately, the voice came from heaven. Immediately then after, it says, the spirit drove him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals and the angels were ministering to him. Some of the other gospels contain more of the details of the testing and the temptations of Satan. We, know, we can see here just in the fact that he was there 40 days and he was with the wild animals that this was not an easy time. It was a test and it was difficult. But what we see here, especially in this brief two verses, is that he stood the test. And at the end, the angels were ministering to him. 
You want to know that Jesus is the Messiah. Consider that he stood the test that Adam did not in the garden, that Israel could not in the wilderness as they wandered not 40 days but 40 years because of their rebellion and their grumbling. Jesus did not grumble against God. He trusted his Father, and he stood the test. He was faithful. His track record was perfect. Unlike every one of us who is stained with sin, who really can't say, I've stood every test in my life well, you can maybe say, oh, look, look at me. I did this. I'm a good person. Start thinking deeper in our hearts and we realize that we are not perfect. But Jesus was faithful. He is the holy God. He really is the Messiah, the one who is able to save us because he stood the test, because he is perfect, though we are not. Next week, we're going to learn and listen in as Jesus invites some fishermen to follow him. That's where we get our memory verse from for the month. But for this morning, I have to ask you, are you ready? Are you ready for Jesus? This Jesus, the one that the scripture presents to us as the Christ, the Son of God, the only Savior and the only God. Our only hope in life and death is that the Lord himself came to seek and save the lost, that he is the one who has been faithful and perfect throughout his whole life. That he is the one who fulfills the promises of God. Do you keep that good news close to your heart? Do you keep it in your thoughts? I want to encourage all of us, myself included, to let this be your joy this year, that our hope is in Jesus, that he's the Savior that we need, and he is our God. Because this isn't just about people's opinions about Jesus. This is about what does the Bible say? What does God say about himself? What does Jesus himself say and do? And we'll continue down this journey as we continue in Mark. This is the testimony of God's word. John witnessed it. The father declared it. And his testing confirmed it. That Jesus is who Mark said he is at the very beginning. He is the Christ, the Son of God.
I can't convince us to, or you, to humble yourself, to believe this, to receive it, to think on it day in and day out. I can't make up your mind about Jesus if you don't have your mind made up. But I've set out to tell you what God's word says so that you would know that the Bible does give us reason to believe that Jesus is God. The Bible does give us reason to believe that he is the one and only Savior. So I hope that we realize that, that we realize that we're accountable to the knowledge that we have. Not accountable to me, but accountable to God for the things that we know about Jesus Christ. That's why next week we're going to see that Jesus calls people to follow him. He calls for a response. And part of that response is to be a witness, like John was, to Jesus, our only hope. That's a lot, but think about Jesus and who he is. What do you believe about him? Jesus once asked his disciples, what do you think about me? Who do you say that I am? Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. The very things that we have talked about this morning. And Jesus, who knew who he was, said to Peter, you are blessed because flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. So you too are blessed if you can honestly say that Jesus is the Christ, he's your only Savior, that he is the Son of God. Father,